everyone. Welcome to Ag PhD Radio. We're actually broadcasting from the Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day event, and it's really fun to talk to a lot of young folks in agriculture, just seeing the excitement, the enthusiasm, and uh, really excited to hear some of the questions from them as well. I'm Darren Hefty, along with my brother Brian, and it's fun when we, we start thinking about the basics of agriculture and starting fresh. Too often in agriculture, we get uh, many years into farming and we kind of get set in our ways a little bit. And it's fun to take a fresh look at things and think, okay, why are we doing the things that we are? So we're looking at things at the Young Farmers Field Day, like soil sampling and reading a soil test. We're looking at scouting, doing stand counts, scouting for insects, looking at different thresholds, looking at what the potential yield is on the crop. Also talking about plant tissue testing and some of the new things farmers are doing to measure what nutrients are in the plant, what we're actually able to pull out of the soil and put into our yield in the end. And then uh, all the things that go along the way throughout the season, all those decisions that get to be made. Now, oftentimes I know for Brian and me, this is true. When we were 15, 18, 20, 25 years old, even we weren't necessarily making all those decisions. Uh, we had to grow into that slowly and it's the same in many farms that we talk to around the country, but these are the, the next level of decision makers that are coming onto our farm. So providing knowledge for them is really fun. All right. So during our show today, uh, we would appreciate your questions, anybody that's here in our live audience. So if you've got a question, just raise your hand. We'll come around to you, to you with the microphone. And if you wouldn't mind, just give us your first name and maybe the state that you're from. That would be awesome. Uh, but we'll, we'll take... Any agronomic question, anything you want to ask us about farming or, or whatever, we're more than happy to talk about that. Uh, we were just discussing pesticide safety, food safety, and one of the things that I didn't get a chance to bring up is water quality. A lot of people get concerned about water quality, and, and that, that's good. I mean, we want to make sure that we do have safe water to drink. But one of the things that I often bring up to non-farmers is, look, I live right on our family farm, and for most of my life, I drank well water. Do you really think that I want to be polluting water anywhere? Because I'm going to be drinking it, and so is my wife and my kids. Do I want to drink polluted water? No possible chance. So when we, when we think about water, there are two main factors that we're looking at, uh, nitrate and phosphorus. So this is something, and even for our, uh, at our Young Farmers Field Day here, for anybody in the audience, if you want to write this down, this is the most important thing you need to know with nitrate. And that is the water quality standard for nitrate nitrogen is 10 parts per million. 10 parts per million. So you're often going to hear about, oh, tile lines or farm runoff or whatever, and all the nitrate that's in there. Well, almost all the time, it's less than 10 parts per million. And if it's less than 10 parts per million, that means it's safe to drink. And here's the thing. I see many of you sitting in our audience today with bottled water in front of you. I will promise you there's nitrate in your water. Don't lose your minds. Don't freak out. It's okay. It's less than 10 parts per million. All right? And so it's one of the things here in our country, in the United States, we're pretty trusting, and we just assume our, you know, bottled water or almost any water we're going to drink is fine. In a lot of foreign countries, it's not that way. And so literally right on the bottle, it will tell you what the level of nitrate is in there. So when Darren and I were over in Israel, uh, we got some bottled water, and right on it, it said it was eight 
parts per million of nitrate nitrogen. Now, at the time, uh, we didn't know what the drinking water quality standard was. So I'm like, hmm, is this safe or not? Well, believe me, we know it today. And yeah, it's 10 parts per million. So that's the number one thing. The number two thing is that the number one water quality issue we have in the United States today is actually not nitrate. You say, well, wait a second. Everybody's talking about nitrate. What is it if it's not nitrate? What it is is it's phosphorus. Phosphorus is the limiting factor for algae growth. So, for example, in uh, lakes, in rivers, in streams, uh, if there's more phosphorus that gets into that water, you'll see more algae in the water. And just as an example, I've, I've got a place on a lake here in South Dakota, and they, they put out some little magazine every once in a while, and right on the front of it, uh, on the last edition they had, was they were talking about water quality. And, of course, what's the picture they choose? Tile lines. And I'm like, you guys, come on. There's almost never any phosphorus in tile lines, and everybody in the room knows already why that is. Because what was one of the first things we talked about today, phosphorus is basically what? Immobile in soil. Okay, phosphorus isn't getting down three feet or five feet down to our tile line. That's physically impossible. It's not going to happen. But yet people in town or people at the lake, they don't know anything about water quality. They don't know about how phosphorus moves in the soil or anything like that. So, well, they put a tile line. Tile must be bad. Oh, we got to shut down tiling because that's polluting our lake. No, that's not the case at all. We got a question right there. Uh, tile is actually helping solve the problem, and people don't realize that. By the way, at this lake, the, what, what's the problem at this lake? Well, the city's sewer sits right next to the lake, and when they get too much rain, where does the sewer run into? It runs into the lake. Anyway, go ahead, sir. Uh, so I'm Marty. I'm from Iowa. And I was kind of going back to your phosphorus. Since it's immobile in soil, yep. do you think that phosphorus then comes from runoff and then maybe yep. no-till can have a large impact on that if it can't get into the soil? If you can reduce your soil erosion, then you're going to reduce the amount of phosphorus that gets into water. Yes, that's how almost all phosphorus gets into water. It's either from that, from soil erosion, or it's, since you mentioned you're from Iowa, when I drive through Iowa, I do see some inlets for tile lines, okay, or risers as some people will call them. Well, what that is, is I got a nice tile line that's doing a great job keeping my environment clean and everything else, and then I put this riser right up to the soil surface. Well, now what happens? Now I can get soil chemical and fertilizer right into my tile line. So we are real big believers in eliminate those risers, and I mean, there are other ways to handle a, a pothole or something like that. Yeah, that's one thing. The other thing to think about is rivers and streams. Look at what they do. They move. They cut into the dirt on the side, and, and they change their course over time. And as they're cutting in and soil caves in, that's another big source of phosphate in the rivers. We're at the Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day event. We'll be right back. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Center today at the Ag PhD Field Day site, and we're at the Young Farmers Field Day event. Taking questions from our audience here. Let's get to the next one right now. Oh, well, yep, we got to get his mic on. There we go. I'm Derek. I'm from northeast Nebraska, and we as farmers are typically, typically complainers. So it seems like we're always on the defense with society. So what is the best way we can educate the general public? Because I don't want to say they're stupid, but it seems like they're just always real. <laughs> they're, they're ignorant to yeah. a lot of the facts of what's really going on. Right. And honestly, there's a lot of smart people out there on the farm and off. They just don't know. They just haven't grown right. up with it. And they're getting barraged every week with things in the media of, oh, well, just like Brian was talking about uh, a local uh, lake area posted something about water quality and they show a tile line running and they're worried about it and and they just don't know they haven't sampled the water they haven't seen a negative test but they're worried about it because they see oh here's a pipe and there's water coming out of it that might end up in our lake so that does scare people i personally feel like this generation is where it's going to turn for the better I, I think it can certainly turn for the worse but I look at my generation and older, I don't see a lot of those guys posting on a regular basis on social media. I don't see them with this huge network of thousands of people that are followers of them, but I do see that of the younger generation that's coming into farming now. Uh, folks in their, their teens and 20s and 30s, uh, very active online and have a great reach, not just uh, in their local area, but well beyond. I think just continuously putting out good information about here's what we're doing. I see some great videos being put out about here's how we care for our livestock. It's not the, the scary things that you see uh, that, that oftentimes might even be staged. It's, look, here's what we're actually doing. And the same thing with crop farming. There's a lot of different ways to farm, whether it's organic, whether it's conventional, whether it's with tillage, whether it's not. Talk about what's going on and why you're doing it. Hey, this might be right on my farm. It's not maybe right for everybody, but it works really well here. And share share the whys. People get brainwashed because they keep hearing all the negative stuff that's out there, and we just have to uh, 
try to turn that by putting out more information all the time. So we're doing it, but literally every farmer uh, can speak one way or the other, whether it's in person to just one or a few people or social media or whatever. And we just all have to be at least a little bit more active and Hopefully, eventually, things will get better. You know, the other thing that, that is an idea that I don't know that I've seen enough of is maybe you tag your local and state politicians into many of your posts. The reason why I say that is they're very uh, interested in what feedback is coming from their voting block. And let's just say that you're, you're in South Dakota and you say, you know what, I really want uh, Senator Thune uh, to see what I'm doing on my farm. Tag him in. He'll see it. And you'll see, you know, here's what we're doing for drainage in our project here. Or, or maybe you say, oh, uh, let's get Senator Rounds involved in this. Uh, let's see what he's doing. Or Representative Johnson or Governor Noam. Tag them in on what you're doing on the farm. Show them what's happening. Show your local people and your local school board uh, in, in your local you know, your local mayor and, and city council, those kinds of things. Show them what you're doing. I think it's good. Don't assume that people know things. Even in our small, small local town here, I mean, what's, what's our local town, Brad? A thousand people. The, a lot of them didn't grow up on farms. A lot of them have nothing to do with farms. They drive by a farm on their way to work, and that's about all they see of a farm. So sharing those things with local people is really smart. Yep, and if you impact one person, that person might have some big following, and it might make a big difference. All right, let's get to our next question. Uh, I'm Mark Hegg. I'm from South Dakota here, and I come from a no-till farm. Yep. And I was just thinking, this drainage tile, when implementing it kind of ruined the soil structure that we've been kind of building these last, uh, like, decade or no, few it, years. No, you know, it's actually the exact opposite. What, what, in fact, for a lot of people that want to get into no-till, I tell them, hey, put tile out there. It's great. Because the challenge sometimes with no-till is you save a lot of water. Now, on a year like this, it's great. But on a wet year, what happens is the water table rises so high that it starts to ruin your soil structure and kill a lot of your good soil life that you've been working to build for many, many years. We've got to keep that water table down so we keep air in the soil profile. So some people talk about tile drainage as water management. You could think about it the exact opposite and think about it as, well, it's really air management. And air is the key to soil life and to soil health. So that's what we want. Now, if you talk about, all right, well, I'm going to actually have some tillage thing that goes through. University of Nebraska-Lincoln just this last year said, you know what, every, I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what their article said, but it was occasional tillage and no-till is just fine and can actually be beneficial. But all we're doing with tile lines is one time ever, we're going to go out there in 30-foot, 50-foot, 70-foot spacings, and maybe you don't even need that. Like, you can see our rolling hills that we have out this door here. We don't have tile patterned out there, but we have it through a lot of the low grounds and into the side hills. So all I'm saying is you're only going to make a few passes one time ever, and now everything can go back to what it was before. But no, uh, tile really, really, really helps no-till even more than it helps conventional till. Yep. Good question, though. Uh, yep. uh, where are we at? Okay, yep, go ahead. <laughs> all right, I'm Ben. I'm from Northwest Missouri. Um, curious if you guys have found a good way to apply micronutrients through a pivot in season. Well, the one that we get the most questions on is boron. We see a, a lot of farmers talking about, hey, I want to put some boron on as I'm throwing some nitrogen out there. That certainly can be done with a pivot. Uh, 
and, and I don't see any real issue with that. No, and it's really not any different than putting any other fertilizer on with a pivot. It's just that the rate is going to be a lot lower. And so what guys will do a lot of times is they'll actually blend it with water so it's easier to get the right dose out there. If it was very concentrated, because, I mean, you stop and think about it, and it's like, I'm going to put a quart on, that's all I want per acre uh, okay, even 160 acres, I got a grand total of 40 gallons. That's really concentrated. My stuff's got to be very accurate. So uh, generally speaking, like I say, people just blend it down with water. Or they'll put uh, that in with their nitrogen or whatever it is. So they, they blend it off. But you also have to think about which nutrients am I putting on. And so that's why we kind of started the day with which nutrients are leachable and which ones aren't. So like nitrate, sulfate, boron, those are all really good ones to throw on with the pivot because your soil probably isn't going to hold everything you need for the whole year, especially with nitrogen. So it's a good idea to spoon feed that as you go along. Now it's fine with some of the other nutrients, but when you mention micros, zinc and copper barely move in soil at all. So if you put it on with the pivot and let's say you're in no-till, then what's, all that's going to end up happening is if you get more on than the, the leaves can handle, it's going to sit in your soil right at kind of at the soil surface, and it doesn't do you a lot of good long term. So I'm just saying if it was zinc and copper, then those I would like to get do deep down in the soil if I could somehow, some way. A lot of times for those that don't move, we like putting them on in the fall. It, they're, just, they're not going anywhere, you know, so it's just a little bit different. So I keep my zinc and copper rates really, really, really low. So in effect, I'm just doing a little light foliar feeding, but your zinc, sulfate, and boron, you can foliar feed and get it down into the roots literally this year. I mean, like this week and, even. And the other thing to think about too is do you need the same amount across the whole field? Now with boron, a lot of times farmers are just putting on what's okay. going to feed this year's crop. With nitrogen and sulfur, they're focused on finishing out this year's crop. If you're looking at building, uh, we'd, we'd strongly recommend that you soil sample on as small yeah. a basis as you can. If you can do one-acre grids and or whatever you can rage. manage. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's get to the next question. My name is Andrew from Northeast Iowa. Last year on my field, I had a blunt ear in, I guess, my south half of my field. Wait, um, a blunt ear? Yeah, so like an short? arrested ear. It was oh, yeah. Like, oh, blunt ear. Okay, yep. now I understand. So what yeah. should I be looking for so I don't have that again? Like I said, it was just a south half of my field. North half was great. What kind of variability or what should I be looking for to... That's very interesting. I got a lot of questions for you. We got about a minute here before a commercial break, so I won't have time for all of them. But I think about all the management things that happen throughout the year. I, I, I would say this. Whenever you're scouting a field and trying to determine a problem, you need to get all the information that you can in terms of do you have soil tests? What are the uh, herbicide application records from this year, but the, also from last year. Was there something from last year that could impact it? Yeah, but the and biggest... what's the crop rotation that's been out there? Was that one half of the field different than the other within right. the so last Right, so there could have years? been a lot of things, but a lot of times what we see is foliar applications between about V8 and tassel, and it's the adjuvants. So if guys are going out with fungicide and they have a spray adjuvant with yeah. it, yeah, it sometimes needs to be we'll an see NPE, that. APE free adjuvant if you're going to do it at that time. Yep. We'll, talk, we'll talk more about this because this happens often, more often than we'd like to see. We'll talk about it coming up right after this. When it comes to weed control... Our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. 
That's the Enlist Wave Control System. Just better. With no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. And that same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire Herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are broadcasting today from the Morton Center on the Ag PhD Field Day site. Just just uh, talking to young farmers today. Well, some young farmers, so, so, some some maybe not quite as young, young at heart at least. Uh, but we had a young farmers field day here at uh, at Baltic at our field day site, and. We're spending a lot of time out in the field and and inside also just talking through everything from soils to tiling and drainage, uh, water quality, pesticide safety, how to pick varieties. And right before the break, we were just talking uh, with a young farmer who had this issue last year. And he said, it, so during the break, we got a little more information from him. He said, yeah, this variety was just bad for me. Some people who are a ways away, it was great for them. So we, we weren't able to figure out exactly what the problem was. We're, our first thoughts are maybe there's just something in the soil. We need to do a complete soil test. Let's see on that half of the field. But the other big thing that we think about, especially when it's a half field or something like that, is 
How about some kind of herbicide carryover, something that could have happened the year before, two years ago, well, and maybe it was just an accident, it was a mistake? It yes, was, uh, yeah. that's where I was thinking too, Brian, because I, I had this happen to another farmer uh, 10, 15 years ago. There, there was an accidental over-application of something on his farm, and they had a custom applicator out, something went wrong with the machine, and all of a sudden the product was all gone, and they were only halfway across the field. And he thought, well, I guess we're out some product. That was the applicator's thought. He didn't even think of, man, I'm probably going to hurt the crop with the over-application. He just thought, well, I ran out of product too soon. He went back uh, and got more product and finished the field out at the normal rate. And anyway, what happened to that farmer then later on in the season, all of a sudden the crop started looking terrible on that part of the field. And he couldn't figure out, man, I don't know what happened. I did everything the same. And they went back to the applicator finally after several different hurdles and found the guy they put on the pre. And he's like, oh, man, yeah, that's the field where, where I had an issue. And so they went out and looked, and he said, yep, that's, that's what happened. I overapplied this product out there. And, well, he never said anything about it because he didn't think there was going to be a problem. He just thought, well, I guess the co-op's just out some product here. And, and it wasn't the case. It was one that could actually hurt if it was overapplied. So maybe something happened over the years. It's, it's tough to know. All right, let's get to our next question. Uh, where are we at? Right back here. Yep, go ahead. So we're, uh, we're spreading zinc on our fields. Yep. Now, in a perfect world, we'd have a band and inject it into the soil. At this point in time, we don't have equipment to do that so your broadcast and your no-till correct okay now does yeah. the zinc instantly get tied up and no it's useless no or? no no aren't worried about no. the tie up are you flat ground or are you hilly rolly ground we have some hills yeah but if he's no-till we're not super worried about erosion where darren's going with this is like on our farm and on a lot of farms we find the biggest problems with zinc are on the side hills because of erosion and the zinc that stayed on the soil surface, uh, now it washed down the hill. So plenty of plenty of zinc in the low ground, but not as much in the side hills. So I, I'm sure you're wondering, well, what what should I do? Uh, you know, is is am I going to get benefit out of my zinc? Right. Correct. Yep. Okay. So I, I would just say this: zinc is a little bit more mobile in soil than phosphorus, but still, it's just not flat out very mobile. So if okay, I'll, I'll just tell you on our farm. Uh, we were trying to get our, our zinc levels up to around 8 to 10 parts per million here last fall. So we went out and broadcast. And we can do it all in one shot. Zinc's actually really cheap. Uh, zinc sulfate, super cheap if you, if you want to go that way. So if, if I was going to continue to broadcast and I, I want to put out zinc sulfate, I'd do it variable rate, number one, just put it where I feel like I need it. And number two, I would, I would give consideration to one time in the next 20 years, so this would be the time, uh, doing at least some tillage and getting it down deeper. And the other thing you could do is say, all right, I've got 10 fields. I'm going to do one field this year, yep. till it in, yep. get it fixed, yep. done. So that's And maybe even stick a cover crop in right after it or do it just right before you're going to plant so you know, hey, I'm going to have stuff growing out there within a week or two. Yep, so that's one option, okay? Uh, another option would be to get equipment for your planter uh, and, and put it on that way. Another option would be to... Uh, get some type of coulter machine and you could just run out there with coulters 
and, uh, and, and so you're not doing a lot of soil disturbance, but you can get that zinc down in the ground. But the reason why we like talking about phosphorus, zinc, and copper and that they're pretty immobile in soil is just so we all understand it. And when you are in this situation, at least you realize, hey, this is why I'm not getting all that zinc into my plant because it's literally laying on the soil surface and I just don't have many roots there. The other problem is in years like this when you don't get rainfall very often, if the soil dries out the top inch, and all your zinc's in the top inch, even if you had some roots there, you're not getting it into the plant very well. So somehow, some way, I would try to get some down. So like on our farm, we took our no-till acres years ago and switched them to strip-till because that allowed us to place that fertility down deeper. Now we didn't have to do full-scale tillage or anything, but at least we were tilling in a strip. And so that's another thing that you could do just one time if you want to and put a whole bunch down deep. And then, well, now you're good for quite a few years. Because my point here is this, with phosphorus, zinc, and copper, if as long as you don't have soil erosion, they're going to be there for a long time. So you could put out enough zinc for five years if you wanted to, and now you don't have to do anything else for five years. That So if you look at how much uh, a crop uses for zinc, it's not a lot, but it definitely is something. And so if you don't get some zinc out there uh, every year or put a whole bunch on enough to carry you through for a few years, you're going to have a problem in corn. Uh, roughly a 200 bushel crop is going to take uh, at least a quart of 9% zinc every year, if not even a quart and a half, just for the grain removal only, and that's figuring we leave all the residue out there. And if you're only putting a quart out there, that means you'd have to get 100% of that into the crop, right. which is unlikely. So, yeah, in many cases, we're going backwards in our rotations with zinc. All right, uh, another, qu oh, another question over here. Yeah, so our I'm Carter from southeast Minnesota. And our farm is transitioning over to no-till. Now, we did a little bit of conventional till and then mostly no-till this year. And on our conventional, we have a much better stand. Should we have waited just a little bit longer with our no-till soil so it could warm up a little more to get a better stand? Or well, what should we have done Well, the question is, do you think it was because the soil was cold or was it a residue issue? Yeah, it was on beans, though, so it shouldn't have been too much residue. Uh, I, I've been out in fields this year, and I still have seen where there have been clumps of residue, then that's right where we had the problem, and where there was no residue, then we didn't. Okay, so, so I'm just saying that was part of it, but yes, part of it was cold soils. Okay, so here's yep. the $0 fix for this going forward. Spend a little bit of time out there. As you're planting, take your soil probe with temperature and just see what you got. See what your temperatures are. Read them. See how they're different. A lot of times guys will say, well, I tilled my end rows. The middle of my field is no-till because uh, I had some compaction on the end rows, and I noticed a big difference. Well, sometimes it's one way. Sometimes it's the other. A lot of times when that soil is black, it does warm up faster, and that temperature is a big thing. But like Brian said, the, the residue could be something. So you could look at what you're doing in front of your planter. Are you moving the residue out well? Uh, was your planting depth as even when you get there? Because I've seen guys where they're not moving the residue out far enough to clear the gauge wheels. And so those gauge wheels are still bouncing up and down. So we get some uneven emergence just because we're getting uneven planting depth. So do some digging right now. You can tell what the planting depth is and we'll 
talk about this. I think at some of the stations when we get outside today, but uh, see what the planning depth is. See if that's a big deal. See why seeds didn't come up. If there's some that you say, man, I got a 30,000 stand in the conventional till and a 28 in the no-till. Well, where are the other 2,000 seeds? Did they die? Was there a disease? Are they right. still coming? That's, that's what we, all right, that's what we want to know. Now, Darren said that was a $0 solution. That's the $0 identification. The solution may cost you some money, well, this, and that's what we talked about with those cold soils. We gave you the formula for what you need to do. One of the biggest things is looking at what's the cold germ score, but then the other side is looking at seed treatments and things you can put in furrow to make that seed pop out of the ground faster. So there's, there's disadvantage to, to no-till that the soil is going to be cold in the spring, but later there's an advantage because now you've got more moisture there. So if you want to continue to take advantage of the good things with no-till, you got to figure out how to overcome that issue. It's probably, to Darren's point, we just need to clean that residue a little bit better. But then the other thing is I'd look at what else I can do to make sure I'm planting good seed and using a good seed treatment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Daikon IGR and Sentinel EC insecticide, or Daikon IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. 
When it comes to crop disease, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. Stop the clock on crop disease with DuPont Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one for healthier corn, soybean, or wheat crop that can deliver higher yield potential and increased revenue per acre. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are at the Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day event. We're taking questions from our audience here. It's been fun so far. It's fun over the breaks too, but let's let's jump right back into another question. So if you have, well, I'm Ian Schiller from Northeast Nebraska, and if you just acquired a brand new piece of land in the middle of summer, when's the best time to soil test it? Or, yeah. Okay. Uh, you just got a new piece of ground. Does it have a crop on it and you don't get to farm it until after that crop's off? Is that the, the case? Well, you just got it from a piece of person or a person and it had, does, no, it doesn't have crop It's got on nothing it. on it right yeah. now? Yeah, you can go ahead and soil sample it right now. What, what I like to do, though, is I want to soil sample at the same time every year because I know things are going to vary. Brian talked about organic matter mineralization and how you're going to see um, nitrogen and sulfur and some other nutrients coming available throughout the season. I would wait until fall if it was me, but if you don't have time, you say, you know what, we are so busy in the fall, this is a better time for me to do it. I just go out and get it done. At least it gets you started and, and gets you to understand, okay, here's variability. We don't have a crop out there now. We could make some applications if we wanted to because we don't have to tear up a crop to do it. That might be a good thing to do. When we pick up new ground, we really like to start with, is there any dirt work that needs to be done? Hey, there was a, a terrace that blew out. Let's get that fixed right now before, before we do anything else. Then if there's a drainage issue out there and you see, you know what, there's some low ground in there that they always have poor crop down in those spots. I want to get that drainage work fixed. And then the next thing that we're looking at is what fertility changes do we need to make across that field? So I, I'm with you. I love where you're going with this. Hey, we got some ground. Let's figure out what we got and what we're dealing with so we can move forward. If, if you don't have time to test in the fall, then I do it right away. If you're going to be testing in the fall anyway on your other ground, then I just do it at the same time. Good question. All right, take another one over here. So what's your thoughts? So I'm Dave Nowmaker coming from northwestern Wisconsin. You know, we get a decent amount of precipitation here and there. And my farm, we're pretty hilly. So what's your thoughts on cover crop to either conceal the land or pull up the nutrients? Okay, hilly ground is definitely something that has to be managed differently than flat black ground. There's no doubt about that. And we hear a lot about cover crops and there are certain parts of the country, especially those with long growing seasons that, that are really making good use of cover crops. Where you're at, what is your crop rotation normally? So we're dairy and grain. And so, you know, we have our alfalfa fields, they sit there, but where our corn fields are, we usually try to rotate them between corn, soybean, among the grain fields until okay. it's an alfalfa rotation. Okay. And then so that's what it sticks to. But then my dad, he's pretty aggressive tiller, so that might be a problem on some parts. But I guess on a nutrient perspective, you see a benefit with the cover crop too. Not much in terms of the nutrient benefit. I mean, there might be a little bit. But the bigger thing is a lot of people will talk about the soil erosion aspect uh, that you brought up and just building overall soil and building the soil's organic matter. So my question is, on your corn ground, and since you said dairy, my guess is you're 
you're taking silage off and what's your normal date where you cut silage and when's your normal date where frost is hitting you like for sure so there's been times where we're harvesting late july for silage yep and then early august and then frost sometimes we get a surprise early september but then sometimes it's not late for a hard frost yep. For late September or even October. Okay, so what we typically will so talk about. you may about, have a month or two after you've cut the silage before a lot of it times, really freezes. A lot of times, at least a couple of months. And that's, that's where cover crop really fits in nicely is when you're going to have soil just being open, nothing growing there for a couple of months. So a lot of times for us, when we're harvesting corn or soybeans, we'll harvest in October and the ground completely freezes solid in November there's no possible chance we can raise a cover crop because we don't have enough time. Now for us, if we are cutting sides, there's a great big dairy that's going up a mile away from here. And now we're starting to have them cut some silage. Well, if that gets done in, let's say the third week of August and something could grow until the third week in October, that's two months. So now cover crop makes a lot more sense. So th th it's usually a timeline more than anything that we're kind of looking at. And if your dad still wants to aggressively till everything, he can sure do that coming up in October. I don't know when but you have time. Had something I mean, if, you're, if you're dairy farmers, when do you have time to do tillage? It seems yeah. like you're busy every day. But let's not just talk about cover crop. A lot of people will say the words cover crop, and I'm like, so you're not going to graze it, bale it, anything? And they go, well, no, I'm going to bale it or I'm going to graze it. And I go, well, that's not a cover crop. That's a cash crop now. And my point is, if you've got two months to grow something, you could technically get some more forage that could actually help your operation. So it's just that if you take more off, you have to put more fertility back on, and that would be the one change. I love it, Brian. Double crop farming in northwest Wisconsin. You never know what you're going to come up with today, do you? Yeah, but again, if all we're after is just some forage, you know, you could certainly do that, and that would help protect the soil. You yeah, take the forage absolutely. off, then it makes it a lot and easier it get, for doing tillage. And if it gets knee-high, great, and if it gets uh, halfway there, yep. you still have something of value. So. add on to that, so let's say if we did want to just plant corn right on top of it, do you have a suggestion what, as a cover crop, whether oh. like it's wheat or triticale or something like that? Well, uh, if you're just trying to stop erosion, then cheaper is better. And, yeah, if you raise a little bit of wheat and you get your own but, seed, that's that's not a bad thing. Yeah, but, but if you want something that's going to be pretty hardy going into winter, you know, rye has been a nice crop too and easy to get started. Yeah, the concern with going into corn again to me would be how about diseases, insects, mites, that kind of stuff, because now you've got grass crop following and going right into grass crop. A lot of times what they talk about is the green bridge. So when you go from one crop to another crop or cover crop to your crop, that you want everything dead for two weeks. So that way it reduces the amount of disease and insects and mites that can go from crop to crop. So that would be something for you to think about. The other issue that we've got here in South Dakota is we're dry most of the time. And so if you have something that you let live all the way into the spring, that can be problematic because now it pulls a lot of moisture up. So just as an example, a lot of people have left alfalfa until spring and, oh, I'm going to take a cutting and then I'm going to kill it off. I'm going to try to plant something in there. And what they plant in there makes half yield. It's, it's rough. So, and it's mainly because of moisture. So it all depends on how much moisture you're going to get and how successful that potentially could be in terms of letting it go all the way into the spring.
Yeah, I'd start experimenting on a smaller scale first. Or if you get some neighbors that are already doing it, I'd pay attention to what they're doing. Work with them as closely as you can to see, hey, what are you putting in? Why'd you choose that crop? And, and just see, because there's somebody in your area that's probably doing it. I mean, we always think, well, nobody's doing it here. Just drive around. That's a good thing about farming. You can see what everybody's doing because it's all out there for everybody to see out in the field. All right, let's get to one more question here before our break. Yep, go ahead back there. Uh, Sean from South Dakota here. Uh, we're seeing lots of environmental pressure on regulations. Where do you yep. see that pertaining to farm profitability here in the future? Well, the thing is, if it's a federal deal, then we're all going to get impacted by it. So at least we would all be on the same playing field. But what happens a lot of times now in the United States is, well, what literally, what, what did I just say? United States. We are united states together, but yet each state gets to do things regulatory-wise that are different from others. So, for example, we're 20 miles away from Minnesota. Their regulations are more strict than ours here in South Dakota. If you go to Iowa, which is maybe 25 or 30 miles away uh, from right here, in terms of the livestock side and manure, they are more strict than we are in South Dakota. So I would rather be on this side of things. You know what I mean? So it all depends on, on where these regulations are going to go. Are they federal or are they state? But yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that we all have to manage through. And I'm with you. Unfortunately, I think regulations could potentially get worse, but that's part of why we do what we do here at Ag PhD. Because what were we just talking about, like with phosphorus? Well, the way to prevent that from getting into lakes, rivers, and streams is we got to figure out how do we reduce erosion and well, when and we you, do and you that, see it too where you farm, we Sean. Have I mean, problem. you got the river right there, and you see it moving around. You see it cutting into the banks, and, and certainly all the farmers that are as close to the river as you are are all worried about, gosh, I can't have any runoff because it's going to go right into the, to the river, and everybody's going to know. So we have to do good things environmentally, willingly as farmers, and just be smart about stuff. Even we talk about atrazine quite often. We don't like atrazine used pre-emerge at all. It has nothing to do with agronomics. It has everything to do with the environment. So I, I, I guess we just, as, as a farm population, have to continue to learn more, do as good a job as we can, and also we got to talk to our legislators to, hey, not regulate us uh, to death because, yes, it could absolutely have a major impact on farm profitability. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucinto Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. 
With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Center at the Ag PhD Field Day site. We're at the Young Farmers event today, and we're taking questions from our audience. Let's jump right back in with another one. Hi, Adam from South Dakota. Let's say first-year farmer picking up rented ground. What's your steps, thought process around fertility? You know, I understand kind of when you own the ground, some of that stuff, but your, your right. thought process on rented ground for that first year Okay. And then going forward with like crop removal and what you're going to do and et cetera. Okay. Now, uh, first question is who are you renting the ground from? So I'll give you an example. So Brian and I started farming and we're renting. We neither of us owned any ground and we're renting ground from our dad and we're renting ground from non-related parties that it might be, it's a year to year lease. So we may or may not be able to farm that going forward. And we're also renting ground from relatives that don't farm anymore that, pretty much are so excited that we're back on the farm that, well, you're going to farm this for the next 20 years. Okay, awesome. So if you've got this long-term arrangement where you know, hey, I'm going to farm this forever, for the most part, we treat it like ground that we own. If it's a year-to-year -year lease, then we treat it like, let's just focus on getting a good crop this year. So what we would do in a lot of those situations is ban fertility, try to use highly available fertilizer that we're going to take advantage with this year's crop. And if it's a long-term deal, then we, we could broadcast, we could band, we could do whatever. We could try and build soil levels up, those kinds of things. And we knew we were going to be the ones taking advantage of that. The only downside for us was we were both broke. So that, that meant the build program, uh, we can't really afford much of a build program, but maybe if we need 50 pounds, we can afford 60 and, and slowly build. Where now when we own some ground and we pick up a little 40 acre field, uh, it's a whole different story of, hey, we can just build it all up in one shot if we want to. 
uh, and, and we know how to read a soil test and which sources of fertility work for our area and how to do it. So, yeah, if I was starting, I would focus on banding and feeding this year's crop. That would be what I'd look at. So you wouldn't even, I mean, definitely could take soil samples and see what's out there, but I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be soil sampling every year. I'd say, well, I've got this much. I'm just going to put out what I need every year and keep going. If you notice, wow, the previous tenant, built the phosphorus levels up really, really high so I can mine some of that back out, I probably would. We really like small grids or zones, if you want, uh, at least the very first time. So one-acre grids we love, and I realize that costs more money, but if you do it yourself, it doesn't cost that much more money. And I'm just at least pull the test yourself. But where, where I'm going with this is we got to figure out what do we actually need? What's going to give us the best payback? Because quite frankly, I don't care if I spend $50 or $100, even if I am a young farmer, what I care about is whatever I spend, it's got to pay me back. If it doesn't pay me back, I'm in trouble when I don't have a whole bunch to go on. Yep. And I, I would just look at it too. If you just say that you learn, well, I have a lot of five pH. And I need to get that up in the sixes to, to maximize my yield potential. I talk to the landlord and say, look, do you want to sign a five-year lease with me? If so, I'll pay for the lime and I'll right. get it going out here. And if they say, no, we're going to stay year to year because we might sell the ground at some point, just talk to them and say, hey, would you be willing to put some lime out here? Uh, you know, I'll certainly pay for a portion of that each year that I farm it. But I, I totally get that you might sell the land, so... You know, you're the one that's going to get the benefit out of this and, and just talk it through and see. And they might say no, and they might say yes. We were surprised when we started putting drainage tile in on our farm. Some of the first ground we did was landlords that said, you know what, I want it on my ground first. I want to get my ground fixed because I want to charge more for rent. All right. Okay. Let's get, yep, let's get to our next question. Uh, Todd from Iowa. Um, strip till corn, soybeans. Around May 28th, we had a... They said it got down to 35. Um, frost got us pretty hard. Yep. Um, it hit us extremely hard in the non-planter tracks. Is there a reason why that would be? What do you mean in the non-planter uh, tracks? Uh, the six rows where the planter tractor went, um, yep. where the strip tail bar went, looks fine. The the rows in be outside of that did got the, toasted. Did the rows outside of that have more residue sitting there? It was standing because it hadn't been run over. Okay, yes. Yep, so that's the reason why. Okay. Uh, I, I could tell you a long story about this, but I'm going to, because we're in the interest of time. I, I can will tell just your say, story in about 30 seconds, Brian. I don't need no, the five-minute no, version. No, but we've got to do this in like 10 There's seconds. a lot of heat that comes out of yes. ground that's tilled, ground that's no-till. There isn't as much heat rising out of it. And that's, that's the big difference. So it's a residue difference. Yep. Would your, uh, that seven-step thing for cold emergence, would that have helped in furrow? Well, that wouldn't have made it will hardly... Help, it'll help the seed emerge, but it's but not, not going to protect you from okay. that later on frost. Nope, nope. So do you recommend running something over to take the till or the standing stuff down? We recommend praying a lot so you don't get frost that late. Okay. <laughs> but if... <laughs> well, I, I would strip say... Till, the other thing in strip till that we We found, do like chopping We like chopping residue. corn heads. Yeah. I like leaving residue at 12 to 18 inches tall, and then I like everything else chopped. So I don't, I don't like leaving right. waist-high stuff. We've tried that before. It was a disaster. Next question. Uh, yep, where are we at? Yep. Right yep. here in the front. Yep, we got one in the front and in the back there. All right, looks like McCoy is faster. Let's go here. Hi, my name is Tom. I'm from northwest Wisconsin, and I have a long-term goal of starting farming in the next several years. Yep. Awesome. So um, 
just a little background information. I'm in my early 30s, and I have a father-in-law who farms locally, and then sure. my wife's uncle farms locally, and they have about 500 acres combined. Yep. Um, how would I start this process? <laughs> Well, I guess the big thing, uh, are you working with those guys right now? Are you helping them out? Okay. Yep, you're doing some. Yep, yep, yeah. you're doing some work with them. That That's kind of the big thing. And then yep. I, I would start asking them, you know, what are you, how are you making these decisions? I, I mean, you make the decision, but just talk it through how, how we're doing this and why and kind of keep track of that stuff, compare some notes. Uh, talk with other farmers who are older in your area that don't have anybody coming back in the operation. There's a lot of times we talk to a lot of older farmers that, oh, I wish I had somebody that's coming back. I don't have anybody that's coming back to take things over. Uh, I need some help. I need somebody that can help me run the technology on my farm, uh, those kinds of things. You find a lot of opportunities that way, just talking to other farmers. That That's what I would look at and then save up money and and do the best you can. If you build a good reputation with guys as they retire or they don't want to farm that extra piece of ground, hey, you know what? Tom could farm that for me. And we see a lot of people getting a shot starting that way. Maybe a guy has a 1,000 acres and he said, I don't want that much work. I want to go to the lake more. I'm going to farm 600. I'll let Tom farm the other 400 with my equipment. And then he'll do equipment work for me. We see a lot of that happening. Yep. The way it basically works is when you don't have money, you got to put your time in. And I can just tell you, like for me, for uh, you know, 25 years, I was working 70 hours a week. I, I mean, year-round, it's nonstop. And there's stuff to do on the farm. And you help these guys with labor. And, and I mean, you can maybe make some money uh, while let's, you're doing let's it. Let's be fair about that but, 70 hours, too. I would say 65 of it was stuff that he loved doing. So maybe there's well, some of it that's like, okay, I really yeah, don't but like honestly, doing you that Yeah, but honestly, you've got to be passionate about whatever you're going to do in life. I don't care what your job is. If you're not passionate about it, you're going to hate it all the time. I don't care if you work 40 hours or 70 hours. Yep, it's going to be no fun. I, I mean, I don't mind working tons of hours because it's super fun. Gotcha. All right. Okay, question in the back here. Lee from South Dakota. Um, thanks for the food. And what are some of the different... <laughs> yep. Uh, like fun experiments you guys are doing, like low population beans or 60-inch corn or anything like that? You know, we're always doing experiments. So uh, one of the cool things today, when you get out in the field, you'll be with a lot of the guys. Well, you'll be with all of the people on our research team. Uh, so you can ask them what are some of the neat things that you see. But as you look across the plots that are out at the Ag PhD Field Day site that will look a lot better and a lot bigger in a month uh, when the, we have the big Ag PhD Field Day, you'll see some of the things we're looking at. We're, we're looking at so many different uh, natural type things, whether that's uh, hormones, uh, biostimulants, microbes, those kinds of things. That area in agriculture is really expanding quickly and we're seeing a lot of benefit with it. It's more than I thought it was going to be. So that's been really fun. In a lot of cases, those things aren't expensive. So that's kind of cool, but certainly, uh, populations uh, we're looking at a lot wouldn't say that we're looking at 60 inch row corn spacing I, but yeah i I, that, I just don't believe 60 inch row corn is going to work very well so no, I, no I, there are guys in our state that do they do it way out west where they're really restricted on moisture like less than yeah, 10 but inches that, annual. to me that doesn't make any sense because we want to shade that ground cutting the population makes sense but i want to yeah. i want to i like i like low population evenly spaced out that gives us a better shot in my opinion yeah but, but yeah and, there, and there are just two, a lot of things 
to yeah, look at. Yeah, super low population on beans. The, 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 there's just a lot of risk there. So, yeah, I mean, if, if there's something that, let's say you question ever, call us, email us, whatever. Now, odds are we've tried stuff or we've worked with farmers who have tried almost anything you can come up with. And hopefully we can help you by letting you know what our mistakes were so you don't make the same mistakes we did. And hopefully you can get better success sooner. Thanks for listening to our show today and tune in again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.